0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We
1: said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job.
0: R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay.
1: It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. i are going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Rakowski, and I cover the Packers for Espionage and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the Internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnPackers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find LockedOnPackers, the number one Packers podcast on the Internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. A lot to get to on today's show Particularly draft-related, we're also going to get to the proposed CBA, why it makes sense in some ways and makes absolutely no sense in other ways. We're going to circle back on our discussion about Zach Bond that we started yesterday with Jonah Tulls from the Draft Network and his ability to play off the ball. I went back, I, I fulfilled my promise. I fulfilled my promise and studied his tape. I I did some research and feel really good about the the player that he is and now think he is a good fit for the Green Bay Packers. We are going to talk about that in just a little bit. But first, I want to start with a tangential topic because there are a lot of Packer fans who feel a certain type of way about a certain type of position. And so, I wanted to address it. I did a little research, and I want to provide some of that information up front because it is related to the Zach Bond discussion in a lot of ways. It's related to our linebacker discussion in a lot of ways, and we're going to talk more specifically about the defensive linemen in this draft and in free agency coming up next week. So I want to prime the pump, as it were, related to the Packers' needs because I think a lot of fans feel the needs of the team exceed not only what the team thinks about the position, but the position's value as a whole in the NFL. When Cheesehead Nation looks at how the season ended for the Packers and they see the gaudy running totals the 49ers put up and they see that Kenny Clark did not have any kind of high-impact players around him on the defensive front, they're going to look at that and say, well, the Packers need defensive line help. And this is an intuitive notion, and I understand it. And if it were 1997, I would agree. Or even 2007, frankly. The the league is just different now. And it starts with how the Packers want to play. They don't play with big personnel on the field, with any sort of consistency or regularity. And that's how they want to play. We've seen enough now of Mike Patton to know that is how he wants to play. And sure, when you look at Kenny Clark's 95 snaps over the course of the 2019 season, he played almost 84% of snaps. That is a lot Dean Lowry played 61% of snaps. No one else played more than 36. Tyler Lancaster at that 36 number. Montrevious Adams, 18%. Kingsley Kiki, just a tick under 9%. And in his offseason presser, Brian Gudikin said that we should expect to see Kiki and Adams much more in 2020, in year two under Matt LaFleur. Well, Okay. That is the first part of this. That is important because the Packers don't seem to view the defensive line as the kind of problem the fans and the public do. It's also important to point out that defensive line is not the only function in run defense. In fact, the Packers' biggest problem in run defense, and I've made this case over and over, was not the defensive front, it was the linebackers and overhang defenders. The fact that B.J. Goodson and Blake Martinez can't run, they're not instinctive players when they're, when they're having to sift through the trash and find ball carriers, and they don't have the speed to get sideline to sideline to affect the game. In our linebacker discussion, we talked about total points. And the the defensive version of it from Sports Info Solutions points saved. And when you look at the league last season, 29 players on the edge saved 30 points or more. The same number of players who saved 30 or more points at linebacker and at cornerback. There were 24 safeties who saved 30 or more points, including Darnell Savage, by the way. And there were only seven interior defensive linemen who affected the game that much. Total points is an aggregate score. It is, a, it is a counting stat. So the more plays you impact, the more you are going to save in this way if you're a defender. And so this tells us two things. Number one, if you are an interior defender who is impacting the game in a meaningful way, you are doing so in a unique fashion. But you are not exceedingly valuable even on the interior. Aaron Donald, who by all accounts, I mean just about everyone who watches the game around the game would say Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in football. He saved, according to SIS, 51 total points. Seven off-ball linebackers saved at least that many. Four cornerbacks saved at least that many. Three safeties saved at least that many. And six edge rushers saved at least that many. Even if you are the best defensive lineman in football, your impact on the game is not significant. So why would the Packers dedicate significant draft capital or free agent capital to improving that position? And I don't want to give too much away about our discussion on the defensive line in the draft for next week, but this is not a good draft class. You are not going to find a player in this draft who is going to provide that kind of Aaron Donald impact or that Fletcher Cox impact, that DeForest Buckner or an Indomitian Sioux impact. By the way, all those players are on the list from 2019, and all of them were elite defensive players coming out of college. We knew they were going to be, or at least we had a pretty good idea, they were going to be special defensive players. Those guys do not exist, at least to my eyes, in this defensive line class. And if they do, and if they're the guys that you know, the the other experts think are the guys, the Derrick Browns of the world, they're not available to the Packers at 30. So worrying about whether or not they're going to take someone at 30, or even 62, frankly, is not a worthwhile use of our time. Not only do the Packers not want to play that way, but they have a defensive lineman already who's very impactful, who's very good, and it's a position that just does not impact the game that much. When we talked about the linebackers, we talked about falling behind relative to the league. Linebackers are involved in so many plays. It's one of the reasons why their point saved is so much higher, and there's so many players that, that are involved in that way, and you go, well, but we don't think of linebackers that way. We don't think of them as premium position players, and that's true. But one of the reasons why they're so impactful in this metric is because they're involved in so many plays. And there are so many teams that have useful players involved in a lot of their plays that there are a bunch of linebackers who meet this criteria. The Packers, by the way, do not have that. So what's worse? Are you a team that allocates capital to try and create an advantage that very few teams have? and that whose advantage is marginal relative to having a good edge rusher or a good linebacker or a good cornerback or a good safety? Or are you a team that does not have a player at a position where the rest of the league has someone, the Packers and linebacker? Everyone has a linebacker. That's good. Or that, that impacts the game in a material way. The Packers do not. They do have a defensive lineman who does. That makes them unique relative to the league, The bigger problem for them is this linebacker position, and it's something that they have to address this offseason to keep up. I wrote about this for Packer Report yesterday. It is something they have to do to keep up with the rest of the NFL. Every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean so you can too. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, so treat yourself for making it through quarantine with the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at Manscape.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code LOCKEDON.
0: Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And speaking of linebackers, one player we did not talk about on our linebacker draft preview, our offseason report card, if you haven't listened to that show, I highly recommend that you do so. One player we didn't talk about, and I got some tweets about it, I got some notes about it, that we didn't talk about Zach Bond from Wisconsin. And and the reason that I have been giving about not doing so is because Zach Bond was an edge rusher at Wisconsin. He is still viewed by a lot of people as an edge player. He is a very good pass rusher. And I saw him recently, Marcus Mosher, from Locked On Cowboys, was talking about the Cowboys taking him at 17, a top 20 player potentially. And, And that includes potential pass rush ability for the Cowboys. He could play in a 4-3. He could play in a 3-4, and there is a lot of versatility there. His versatility is critical. And one of the reasons why I want to discuss him on the show today or specifically target him at all is he is a unique player for the Packers. And, and I want to use him as an example of For a bigger conversation about the linebacker position in Green Bay. So, Zach Bond is a pass rusher at the University of Wisconsin. And who is the coordinator of that defense? Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard played for Mike Pettin in the NFL. And runs a version of the Patton defense at the University of Wisconsin. So, if Zach Bond wants to move off the ball, which he has said he does, he went to Mobile for the Senior Bowl and said, I want to play off the ball. I think my future is off the ball. It is my best position. And you heard on this show yesterday Jonah Tull say Zach Bond is an off ball linebacker, 6'2", 6'3", in that 240 range. Probably not big enough for a lot of teams as an edge rusher now if I were a 3-4 team in particular I'm saying Zach come in go hunt quarterbacks it is what you do best just go take care of business it is the way you can affect the game the most that is the Mike Patton approach Affect the quarterback affects the passing game in the most valuable ways possible but when you look at the packers and what they need out of an inside linebacker it is not what the average team needs from an inside linebacker in the 3-4 in particular because green bay prioritizes speed and coverage so if they're going to spend most of their time you know if the packers play 70% single true linebacker formations then when there are two guys on the field you assume that that one of them can be a downhill run-stopping player, and I think Bond can be that. He is someone who has shown the ability to close with burst, with ferocity. He is a physical downhill player. He can rush the passer. We know that part of it. So as an A-gap blitzer, blitz him off any part of the field, and and Zach Bond can get home. He can create havoc with a posting quarterback. So he affects the passing game that way. But if you put him next to Raven Green or Ibrahim Campbell, then you don't worry about the fact that maybe he is not particularly suited to run one-on-one with running backs, tight ends, receivers, etc. Now, most linebackers aren't. Most linebackers are going to be tasked to play in zone coverage. And when we saw Zach Bond drop in zone coverage at Wisconsin, he showed particular adaptability and alacrity when it comes to moving in space, loose hips, comfort just you can tell when you watch a player when they move sometimes players look robotic or they look a little awkward and some just look fluid they look smooth they they, they feel like they are moving as if they were created to engage in this particular action and even for someone as adept as a pass rusher as bond is when he's asked to drop in zone coverage he plays with excellent spatial awareness He will drop underneath the eyes of the quarterback, understands the players around him. He had a great pick six this past season where he dropped in zone coverage, read a quarterback's eyes, moved underneath the throw, and with one hand reached out, snatched the ball, and returned it for a touchdown. The combine is going to be important for him because he has to show that he's fast enough. If he runs anything sub 4-7, even 4-7 flat and below, he can play off the ball. Blake Martinez was a four seven guy. Jake Ryan was a four seven guy. And although those guys, you know, if you're a, if you're a fan who's worried about sideline to sideline speed, you might say that's not fast enough. Given the way Green Bay plays, I actually think it is when you have instincts and and ferocity the way that Bond does. Blake Martinez struggled because he didn't have the sideline to sideline speed. And. He did not sift through the trash well, did not get off blocks well, did not play with force well. So either you have to be able to run or you have to have elite instincts or some combination of them, or you have to be able to get off blocks. And Martinez couldn't do that. Well, I think Bond has outstanding instincts. I think he's a very smart player with excellent feel. And he can get off blocks. He's got an array of moves that allow him to disengage from uh, blockers. He is long enough to deal with that, and even though he's in that 235-240 range, I think certainly he's proven that he can set the edge and he can attack blockers to be a useful player in the run game as well as the pass game. Now, the fact that all the fans who want to talk about you know T.J. Watt and the Packers not drafting him, or you know, were loudly offering that Clay Matthews should be moved inside and and played there those fans would be assuaged by this <laughs> theoretically the the player the packers pick at linebacker i want to i this is an important topic i think do not let perfect be the enemy of progress just because the player that they are looking at or they could potentially pick is not the perfect inside linebacker does not mean He is not an upgrade. And, of course, we always have to be balancing it against options, against opportunity cost, and against other players who could be picked at other positions, their relative impact, given the situation. But given the way the Packers play and what they ask of their middle linebacker, their inside linebacker, as it were in this case, although middle linebacker may be just as appropriate because the other players that they're playing next to are really safeties. But I digress given the limitations that they're okay with at the position. Bond has the traits to overcome the limitations that Martinez had and still execute all of the same kinds of skills that Martinez had when he was playing well, when he was you know a top 20 linebacker last season by pro football focus, or when he was last season. And I, by last season, I mean 2018, not 2019. Two seasons ago, I guess, technically, playing at a much higher level. Now, he had more help in front of him with Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, but that is indicative of a player who needs help. The worse a player, the more help he needs from his friends to be a useful player overall. Someone like Zach Bond has the traits to come in and be impactful regardless of the players around him. And this, again, is the point of the discussion, I think. The Packers don't need to find the perfect linebacker. Kenneth Murray, by the way, not the perfect linebacker. Patrick Queen, Troy Dye, Zach Bond. None of these guys are perfect. But you're going to say, okay, well, Bond, he doesn't have the sideline-to-sideline side speed. Patrick Queen doesn't have the size. In the run game, he's going to get swallowed up. Kenneth Murray, oh, well, he doesn't have man-to-man coverage experience. Oh, Dye, you know, we, you can go down the line. And there's always going to be flaws. There is no perfect prospect. There's never been a perfect prospect. Do not let perfect be the enemy of progress when it comes to the linebacker position. And the Packers in particular are set up to allow for flawed prospects. Think of how good Desmond Bishop was for that Packers Super Bowl team. One of the reasons why his his flaws in coverage, his, his lack of ability there didn't show up was not because A.J. Hawk was so good in coverage. He wasn't. It wasn't because Clay Matthews could drop. It wasn't because of anything like that. It was because the front was really good with Colin Jenkins and Clay Matthews rushing the passer. It was because the secondary with Nick Collins and Charles Woodson and Tremont Williams and Sam Shields was so good that it allowed a player like Bishop to play a specific role in which he could thrive, where he could maximize his ability as a blitzer, as a downhill run defender. And eventually, the Packers' talent around him faded, and he was not able to do the things that that made him so good as effectively. The Packers have a team that can do that. And so they can't get so caught up in trying to find the perfect pros- prospect that they ignore players that could come in and help their defense. Now, that's not to say they should, they should take him over a really good receiver or a really good offensive lineman, but... I think I've made the case successfully that someone like that is a better player than a defensive lineman, given the relative value of a defensive lineman. There is not a defensive lineman in this class, and I include Javon Kinlaw, Brown, that we've talked about, et cetera, that I would take over Zach Bond, And I would take Kenneth Murray over any of those guys too. And, and not just for the Packers, for anyone, just because I think they can impact the game more. If you've been a listener to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard of the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On is a great way to get your local business in front of passionate Packer fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives you the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Packer fans then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses, and Locked On Packer fans are not only no different, they are the best when it comes to supporting the local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are we will get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Our people will call your people, as it were. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So I want to finish up with the proposed rule changes in the new CBA, and I guess rule change is not quite right, but what the the NFL owners are proposing. Is an expansion of the schedule. 17 games, so the extra game, and an extra playoff team in each conference with one fewer preseason games. And the addendum to this, and it's an important one, by the way, is they're going to move the revenue share, which right now is at 47.53 in favor of the owners, to 48%. if it's 16 games, 48.5% if they go to 17 games. According to Adam Schefter, that is a shift of $5 billion in player revenue. And that's a lot of money, right? $5 billion is a ton of money. And that's good. Giving the players more money to play more games is good. The problem is it's not enough. And the real core of the of the issue is there is no reasonable explanation that can be made in favor of the owners winning the split of revenue. There is no argument that the owners deserve more than 50% of the revenue. You could replace any of the owners currently in the NFL with another random rich dude and nothing about the NFL would change. If you suddenly couldn't pay Patrick Mahomes, you'd have a real problem with the NFL. If you suddenly had to move a team out of a city because the the fans stopped going because the players were bad, you'd have a real problem. It has nothing to do with who is running the team. No one buys a ticket because Jerry Jones is the owner or Dan Snyder Or Jeffrey Lurie or any of these owners Now, certainly the Packers are in a unique position Because they are the Packers And they have no owner And there is an appeal to that I'm sure there are people who gravitate toward the Packers as fans Specifically because they have no owner But the normal argument in these cases For any business where the owner or a manager or a CEO Is making the lion's share of the money Is they're managing all these people And they are taking on the risks, specifically with founders or owners. They're the ones who have to sign the checks. They're taking on the financial risk of the business, right? Except they're not. There is no financial risk in owning an NFL team. NFL teams print money. They print money. Even if you are an owner who has to resign his team in disgrace... You're going to make a billion dollars. You're going to make back your money with interest and more if you have to sell your team. So there is no risk because of the NFL's popularity. There is no risk. So this argument that the owners are taking some sort of financial risk with these teams, especially with the revenue share in place, is utter garbage. The players are the product. The players and the coaches, by the way. They're the product. And you know who should be getting paid more too while we're at it is the front office people. They're the ones who put together the product on the field. They're the ones who make it work. They're the ones who shop for the groceries. The scouts who are making forty five grand a year and have to spend 200 years on the road eating Subway because their per diem doesn't cover a decent meal. Those guys should be making more money while the NFL prints money. There is no reasonable argument that says the owner should be getting more than half of the revenue when they do nothing to contribute to that revenue they do nothing look at the the guys like jerry jones are the exception because someone like jerry jones for whatever you want to say about him he has done unique things in dallas and things that are unique to the cowboys because of their popularity to generate revenue for the cowboys and that's great. It has not helped the league. Anything Jerry Jones does to put you know, a victorious secret in the, the Cowboy Stadium or to, to negotiate a deal with Pepsi when the league is sponsored by Coke, that is not going to materially affect the outcome in Buffalo. It just doesn't work like that. Revenue sharing is a thing, but only to a point when it comes to these kinds of deals. So the average owner, the Packers don't have an owner. Does it affect them negatively? No, it doesn't. Can you name an owner in in the league outside of Jerry Jones? How many of them can you name? Do you know who owns the Bears? Do you know who owns the Rams? Maybe you know who owns the Rams because he's been in the news lately with this stadium development in Los Angeles. The owners are not the thing the players are. The fact that so many of the other leagues, when the, when the, the NFL is the most popular league in the country, and other leagues treat their players better. They offer them a bigger piece of the profits. None of it makes sense because the owners do nothing to promote that product or to make it differentiated from any other product. It's the players who do that. They deserve a bigger piece of the pie. And so if they're gonna play more games, yes, you're gonna watch. It doesn't matter if you're gonna watch. Of course, you're going to watch. That is the point. So if you're going to watch, that means more revenue by TV. They're paying for more games. They're paying for more rights. Advertisers are paying. So that's more money in the kitty. The players should get that money. Of course you're going to watch. That's not the point. The point is that the system be equitable for everyone involved. And right now, it's not. That's something that the league has to fix. I wanted to talk about why it was important that they, they sign a, a new CBA. We'll get to that tomorrow. It is an important concept. We just don't have time to talk about it today because this, this ridiculous plan came out and and the revenue share is still not up to par. So a lot to talk about. We'll get to that. And then preview next week, the combine. A lot to get to in the coming days and weeks. I'm so excited. We are We are barreling toward draft season. And, you know, it's a it's a. A what? A Thursday show in mid-February, and we're over 30 minutes because there's stuff to talk about, important stuff to talk about. So follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnPackers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find LockedOnPackers. We're going to hit a bunch of your questions tomorrow, so send them in. If you have comments, you have wish lists, you have draft crushes, send them to me. On the Locked On Packers fan hotline, text, call, etc., 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.
0: Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now?